Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. On today's show, we're going to be talking about sidewalks. Exciting stuff, I know. Because we don't really think much about them. They're just there. But actually, depending on where you live in Portland, they might not be. Our guest Brian Vance is a first-time homeowner. He bought in the neighborhood of Montevilla, and this summer he received a letter from the city about his road's lack of sidewalks. And this sent him down a rabbit hole of municipal bureaus and ordinances. So what does this letter say, you might be wondering? I'll just let him explain. It's Thursday, December 15th, 2022. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. Brian, you have a fighting City Hall saga to share that's been going on since August, and it all started with the letter. Tell us about it. Yeah, so in August of this year, we got this letter from uh, PBOT, the Bureau of Transportation here in Portland, letting us know that they were going to explore some options to improve infrastructure on our street, in our neighborhood. And uh, that kicked off a months-long battle with the city uh, between myself, my neighbors, and uh, the Portland Bureau of Transportation over how they plan to go about improving our infrastructure. That, uh, yeah, let's just say it, it exposed some flaws with the city government. So tell me about why they chose your block for this infrastructure. <laughs> like, what is yeah. it about your block that needs so much help? <laughs> So I live directly across the street from Berrydale Park and the Creative Sciences Elementary School. My street is also only partially paved, no sidewalks, no stormwater management. Oh, my God. You know, 100 kids, you know, every school day are walking along this street to get to and from school. And they're having to kind of weave in and out of cars that are driving down the road. There's a portion of my street that during the winter, like right now, if you go to it, it is basically a pond from edge to edge. Oh, wow. There is no dry spot. You can't tell how deep the puddle is. It's a good 20 feet wide. It's it's massive. And this happens every rainy season. So yeah, we sorely needed infrastructure improvement. And for about two years now, the city has been working on a plan to improve Berrydale Park. It's a pretty bare bones park at the moment. Uh, they're going to build a skate park, which is super cool. They're going to add lighting. There's no lighting in the park right now. They're going to add oh pathways. God. And someone <laughs> at... This just sounds so just barren. Like it these is. Poor, these kids are going to have like those stories where they tell their children, like, back in my day, I had to swim across a five-foot pond. <laughs> to go to the park. <laughs> yeah, dodge bats coming towards my head. There was no lights. Like, geez Louise. And oh, this, is this is Montevilla. This is Montevilla. This is Montevilla, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You know, they want to build a skate park. They want to do these improvements. And someone at the Portland Bureau of Transportation, whose job it is to form what are called local improvement districts, saw this as an opportunity to maybe improve the area infrastructure. Basically, even though they had a ton of money to build a skate park, a ton of money to build lights, 
the city couldn't come up with $300,000 to fully pave our road and add sidewalks. So they came to us demanding that we pay $24,000 per house to install sidewalks. Oh my God. And that's where the problem started was once we realized that like, wait a second, you're, you're funneling millions into this park. We have people on this section of 89th who bought these houses decades ago who are living off pensions and social security. Mm -hmm. They are on fixed incomes. They cannot afford to absorb a $24,000 bill. Yeah. But the reason we're talking to you is because this isn't unique to Brian Vance. Like, this is something that's, it's happening everywhere. And so I, you've done the research. Like, why is it the city's responsibility to fix it? Well, so let's let's back up a little bit. So I live in Montevilla, which until the early 1900s was an unincorporated part of Multnomah County. It was actually mostly Asian American immigrants living in this area who started fruit orchards. In the early 1900s, Portland annexed what is now Montevilla and, and brought it into the fold. But in doing so, rather than bringing the area's infrastructure up to city code, Portland decided to leave the infrastructure as is in accordance with Oregon law that allows them to do this and instead rely on property owners to bring the infrastructure up to code. And also just there's no sort of payback policy, right? Like if you decide to sell your house and move someday, will the city go, well, thank you for that investment, Brian. Future generations will no longer uh, be falling into these puddles and or getting hit by cars. Here's your, your 24K back or anything like that. No, no, no. So it is a bill. It's a bill that if if it would have been approved, my neighbors and I would have had to have paid. We don't get any of it back unless we sell. And then it's only if the house sells for above what we owe on it and what else we owe on that that outstanding lien. They would basically take a lien against the property. Wow. So knowing all this, what were the next steps after you got these letters? And you did the research and you're just like, okay, none of this seems fair. There was a community meeting that was held. I wasn't able to attend it, but I did reach out to the liaison beforehand and, and learned a little bit about what was happening. Quickly realized that this was an LID and that it was going to mean a lot of of money. What's an LID? Uh, local Improvement District. It's it's basically the city's solution for fixing up infrastructure on property owners' dollars. So they form basically a little coalition, typically in a block or a half a block. In our case, it was literally half of my block. So yeah, we you know people started to organize around it. I had neighbors who were uh, keeping the rest of us up to date. They were reaching out to the city because the city does not proactively communicate with the affected property owners. The letter was the only form of communication that we have received from the city to this date. And so they took it on on their backs to sort of keep everyone up to date and let us know about deadlines because deadlines were fast approaching and there was no communication from the city as to to what they were and when they were. Okay, we're going to take a little break here. But when we come back, Brian, I really want to hear about the point person the city assigned to your neighborhood. Yeah. You mentioned a liaison. Like, mm-hmm. tell me about this guy. Tell me, like, what what's his role? So, <laughs> Who is this liaison? This guy, his name's Andrew. Uh, he's a longtime uh, city of Portland employee. And his job is to create and facilitate local improvement districts. I fully support that Andrew has had successful LIDs in the past. Like, I understand that. But Andrew made a lot of assumptions coming into this neighborhood that he he admitted on the record. He assumed because there was an LID in a nearby neighborhood 
where people had to pay about $24,000, that we would just be able to absorb $24,000. Portland has over 50 miles of unpaved roads within city limits. 50 miles. Right. We were talking about a fraction of a mile that they wanted to fix up, and this was going to take years to do. It was going to take months of negotiating, multiple city council hearings, just to do a half of a city block. I pointed out that is not a sustainable, equitable way to fix these problems, these massive problems. And, you know, suggested maybe look into things like federal grants and bond measures, things that could actually tackle this on a larger scale. And he compared that to wishing for a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. So you were like, hey, wouldn't it be great if uh, Portland was a city that works? And he was just like, (laughs) that's a dream. Yeah, (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. And just to explain the stakes, is this being forced upon you? How do they decide to move forward? So it's a consensus model. So the way it works is they define the boundaries of an LID and then they have to get consensus, uh, you know, majority rules type system of the affected property owners to, to say yes, to move ahead with it it was very clear that the affected property owners were not on board with this. And so ultimately we were able to get them to not move forward with charging us 24,000 a piece. But, and this is the kicker, the way this works is we get nothing. No improvements done whatsoever to our street, no sidewalks, no stormwater drainage. My God. And did you at least get get to do like testimonials? Like, was there any way that you guys were able to talk to the city just to explain what was going on? There was a city council hearing. The problem was the city council hearing wasn't communicated out to us. My neighbors figured out when it was, and some of them were able to go and testify at the initial hearing. After that, you know, city council asked Andrew to go back and come up with alternative solutions. They set a new deadline for remonstrances, which are basically like testimony against this project. But this is the thing that really frustrated me. Andrew put the wrong address on the website for where you were supposed to mail in the remonstrance. I submitted it, but it didn't count because it went to the wrong office. Um, I just want to recap. You and your neighbors get this letter. You know, there's a sticker price shock. We were just like, oh my God, 24K. The decision, there was no consensus. You, you go through the emotions of all this and now nothing happens. They're just like, okay, cool. So good luck with your puddles. Do you think that's the right decision that was made? Also, let's just talk about accessibility. Like that means that no one, like anyone in a wheelchair, anyone with a walker, a walker, anything, they can't get through this block. They can't access this park. This just doesn't seem like it's legal with ADA compliances. Have you, have you guys looked into that? Like, oh, Claudia, (laughs) you, uh, you open a massive can of worms. Portland is in violation of the ADA every single day. Yeah, this is not a solution as far as I'm concerned. This is not a Band-Aid. They were faced with the challenge that the way that they operate was not going to work here. It was going to put an undue burden on people who are already struggling in a global pandemic and a recession. And when challenged to think creatively and come up with a solution to actually prioritize safety and prioritize equity, they decided no thanks, and close the book on this. And so now, who knows if this is ever going to get done on our street. And and realistically, at least the way things operate right now at City Hall, the only way things will ever get done on our street is if the people who live here can somehow come up with that money to pay for it. So what do you wish the city had done differently? I wish the city that was able to come up with millions of dollars to put in a skate park across the street could have come up with $300,000 to make sure that kids could get to the skate park safely. 
Well, I'm really sorry, Brian, because I know you're still dealing with the aftermath, you and your um, neighbors. And it's not just you. I mean, the reason we're talking to you is because this is a citywide issue. To be clear, it's not new. This is how this is how things have operated in Portland since the beginning. Like, I think really what has to happen is more people have to know that this is this is the way that Portland chooses to operate. It's there are other ways. There are ways that cities all across America operate that don't put this burden on individual citizens. And to illustrate how by choosing to do this, we are actively perpetuating a status quo that is harmful to our, our citizens. So it's people need to know about it and they need to keep talking about it. Right. Well, thank you, Brian, for taking the time to relive that frustration. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I know you've been dealing with it this past weekend as well. <laughs> and yeah. You know, I spent I spent some of my weekend emailing every elected official that I could think of and inviting them to come out to my street and see firsthand what students have to go through just to get to school safely. This is an issue that most people don't know about. Uh, you might see that there's a, a street in your neighborhood that doesn't have sidewalks and the road's in terrible condition, but you don't understand why it's like that. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to to maybe help educate some more people on this and how we could potentially get it to, to work in our advantage. Thanks again to Brian Vance for sharing his story with us. A study from the University of Central Florida conducted that the likelihood of a pedestrian crash along roadways with no sidewalk is three times greater than when there is one. So as the research points out, sidewalks aren't a luxury, they're life-saving infrastructure, especially along schools and parks. Do you agree with Brian that they're a city's responsibility? Drop us a line at portlandatcitycast.fm. We'd love to hear from you. And for more info on this topic, check out our show notes. And now for your microdose of news which will be your lawmakers at work edition. Salmon contamination in the Columbia River might finally get addressed. A while back, OPB and ProPublica found toxic levels in the river, high enough to affect all of the basin's salmon population. Now, tribal members and scientists warned about the pollution for decades, but were largely ignored by federal and state governments. But that might all change very soon, as Northwest lawmakers are now rallying to bring forth environmental policy changes and increased funding to address it. Good news for all of us, but especially for the tribes who depend on the salmon for a major part of their diet. And outgoing Governor Kate Brown has commuted all of Oregon's death sentences. There were 17 inmates waiting on death row because of the state's moratorium on the death penalty since 2011, which Brown continued. But now she's also dismantling the state execution chamber in an effort to end capital punishment in the state of Oregon, making it easier for her successor to make that a reality. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed this show, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? It'll really help us out. Do you also have a frustrating story about trying to make Portland the city that actually works? Email us at portlandcitycast.fm or leave a voicemail at 503-208-5448. Our lead producer is John Notariani. Our producer is Julia Fioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, and our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jen Lee Conley, Stephen Drizos, and Epidemic Sound. We'll be back in a few days with more conversations from around the city. See you at Slim's. <laughs>